Wonderful. Thanks so much, Mark, for wearing that shirt and for also leading us in confession. It's wonderful to be with you, Parkview Church. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a copy of God's Word, please open to Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, that's okay. We will have the screens, uh, the words on the screen for you. Uh, this is a great moment for us as a church. Uh, this week starts the first official week of lead pastor Mark Balmer coming and being among us and serving us. And this has been a long time coming. And so we're so thankful for you, Mark, and your faithfulness to Christ and your family being here. And just rejoice uh, in this time what the Lord's doing among us. You know, also want to express gratitude to the search committee team and all the hours that they poured into this, the elders and the staff past several years at Parkview uh, have been very difficult for many different reasons. But the Lord has been faithful to us, and He has been good to us. And so the beginning of this week, as Mark comes, it's, it's kind of a flag in the ground of us celebrating the Lord's goodness and faithfulness to us as a church. And so just very thankful to what the Lord's doing, and thankful for you, brother, and for the whole family. So thanks so much. Well, let's turn to God's Word, Matthew 18. And today's sermon is about forgiveness. Forgiveness. We, the whole point of this text, Matthew 18, uh, the main kind of aim, what the text wants to do in us as a community, the Lord works through his word, is that we need to be a people whose hearts are overflowing with forgiveness to one another. We need to have a, become a people that have hearts that are overflowing with forgiveness to those around us in Christian community. That's the whole purpose of this text. Through Christ, we can and we must become a people whose hearts are overflowing with forgiveness. And uh, as we think about forgiveness, I hope you heard it earlier in the service, Ephesians 4, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We emphasize it in the confession, and so this is what the whole sermon is about. And forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is hard, and knowing that how many of us are in this room, pastorally, I just have to take a moment and, and just say, Forgiveness is not easy. Bitterness, resentment, those things are easy. It takes a supernatural work of God to forgive those, especially those who keep hurting us and keep harming us and keep failing us in whatever way. And so we really, 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 really need the Lord's help, which is what he gives us in his word. And that's why we want to listen to his word every Sunday and open our ears and our hearts to receive from him as he teaches us and encourages us to be the people that he has called us to be, people who have been forgiven and so we forgive. So let's look at Matthew 18. Together I'll read the passage out loud and we'll all listen intently to God's word for us. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter's disciple came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you back everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt that because you have pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. It is true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father, show us the endless, unlimited forgiveness of Christ, the infinite forgiveness of Christ, your Son, all of the, the forgiveness we need, we have in Jesus, all of our sins wiped away through his death on the cross. On our behalf, we need to see that and taste it and understand it as a people so that we take seriously the call, the command on our life to be a people of forgiveness. Father, we need help. So give us your Holy Spirit as we study your word. Open our eyes to see what you want, us to, what you want to teach us and how we can obey. Give us strength for the weaknesses that we all have and the temptations that we all have to walk in bitterness and resentment hearts filled with harshness and strictness and judgmentalism, Lord. We need to be cleansed of those, those sins, Lord. We need to be cleansed from those and renewed and have hearts filled with the forgiveness of Christ that we overflow. Lord, each of us are at different stages right now in a relationship with you and in a relationship with other people and the difficulties involved there. And so for each of us, would you meet with us through your word? Help us. Help us understand the depths of your forgiveness that we would become a people of forgiveness. Take us there, Lord. Help me to be a servant for these purposes, for your glory first and for the good and for the holiness of this congregation, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So forgiveness, as we've said before, is very hard. It can be very, very difficult to forgive. Culturally, we've seen that a lack of forgiveness is something that our society really struggles with probably pretty simple to see that our society loves justice and exalts justice. There's been a major movement of social justice, some of which is very good and we celebrate. Other, other parts of it, we would say, no, thank you, and uh, not helpful. But with this increase in justice, there's also been an increase of a lack of forgiveness, a failure to forgive. One scholar, Alan Jacobs, shows how this is true even if we just consider social media patterns in America. He writes this, when a society rejects the Christian account of who we are, it doesn't become less moralistic, but far more so, because it retains an intense sense of justice but has no means of offering forgiveness. The great moral crisis of our time is not sexual idolatry, but rather vindictiveness. Social media serves as crack for moralists. There is no high like the high you get from punishing people who have failed you. Punishing people who have failed you. It happens on social media, and sadly, it happens at workplaces. It happens in families, and it happens uh, in churches, unfortunately. And therefore, it's not a problem just outside of us in our culture. It's also a problem that's intensely personal. Forgiveness is hard for us in our personal experience. C.S. Lewis, 
in an insightful essay I would commend to you. It's about two pages long. Really wonderful essay on forgiveness. It's just called On Forgiveness. You can look it up. It's free online. It says, he says this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Listen to this. Forgiveness is hard. It's perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations, meaning the constant failures, the incessant provocations of daily life to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the critical and nagging spouse, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son, or we could add the sexually broken family member, or fill in the blank with other, what other persons in your mind right now the person that you struggle with forgiving, the person that you are tempted to hold bitterness and resentment toward, Lewis then asks, how can we do it? How can we forgive the incessant provocations of daily life that confront us in our relationships as we, as two fallen sinners, yes, redeemed through Jesus Christ, are seeking to love and care for each other, but inevitably, sin will happen, and we will harm each other, and in fact, People can keep harming us and keep harming us and keep harming us and keep hurting us. And so how do we respond to that, the incessant provocations of a failure to love? To answer, we must turn to our first point, verses 21 to 22. Look with me in your copy of God's Word. We must be people of incessant forgiveness. Verse 21 says this, Peter asked the question, Lord, how often, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, in Jewish society, forgiving someone three times was seen as a sufficient mark of kindness. So here is Peter, presumably trying to impress Jesus with his radical devotion. He says, now, you know, they say three, but Jesus, seven times, seven times, seven times, Jesus. If, I, if someone sins against me once, I forgive him. Second, forgive, three, four, five, six, seven, and I forgive him. Isn't that, isn't that amazing, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times, or some of your translations say 70 times seven. What Jesus is trying to get at is, is infinity, ongoing, forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, then times that, times another forgiveness, and more forgiveness, times a trillion, forgive, forgive, forgive. That is what we are called to. We are called to be a people, Parkview Church, of incessant forgiveness of those incessant provocations of daily life, to keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving that critical spouse, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son, the unstable parent, whoever it is in your life, that person who keeps hurting you, we are called to forgive and forgive and forgive. That's the statement that Jesus makes, and then he moves into a story, the parable. But before we move into the parable of the story of forgiveness that Jesus is going to unravel for us to teach us this point, that we must have constant, incessant forgiveness of those who keep harming us, I want to clarify something pastorally. Three short things need clarification. Number one is this. Forgiveness, Parkview, can be different from reconciliation. Okay? There is what one psychologist calls the, uh, uh, the objective forgiveness and the subjective forgiveness. Subjective forgiveness is what Christ is calling us to here, to forgive and forgive. The inner attitude of your heart towards the person who keeps failing you. That when that kind of that the video keeps replying that you say, okay, no, Lord, Lord, I, I, I just forgive them. Help me continue to forgive that person. Subjective. But then there's the object of forgiveness, what often call, times is called reconciliation. And for good reconciliation biblically to happen, the act of reconciliation requires that the wrongdoer against you seeks repentance and seeks by God's help to actually change and move in a direction that would restore the relationship, okay? 
Second thing to, to emphasize, and this is another Christian psychologist named Timothy Lane, he says this, we must remember that forgiveness, forgiveness does not mean, Parkview, that you become a doormat of another person's abuse. You can look at Romans 12 or Romans 13 that talks about the need for uh, godly, just authority structures in society to come in and protect the vulnerable. And so if there is sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional abuse, there is wisdom and obedience to the Lord and his call on us in Scripture to set up those parameters and have godly authority to come in and set up justice and protection of weak and vulnerable people. We must keep that in mind. In fact, the context of Matthew 18 helps us understand this. If you look at verses 6 to 9 of Matthew 18, we see that there is, Jesus warns against the serious danger of sin and abuse from Christians toward other Christians, harming the little ones, harming other disciples, and that there's a reality of judgment for unrepentant wickedness towards other people. And then Jesus, in the Matthew 18 principle, many of us know, Matthew 15 to 20, is confronting a fellow Christian who continues to sin and asking that person to repent, but then calling in authorities from the church to get involved and have a restoration process of forgiveness and repentance that happens. Now, here's the point I'm trying to get at. It's very important. Just like a good engine is the very core of a well-functioning car, so forgiveness is the core of a well-functioning Christian and a well-functioning Christian relationship. You must have the engine. You must have forgiveness. But, and yet, the engine cannot move the car unless there are wheels and a gas tank full of gas and all the other needed stuff of a functioning car that I don't know about because I'm not a car guy, okay? But you need the other stuff than just the engine. Alongside forgiveness, Parkview, there does need to be that call to repentance and having authority structures involved and having elders involved in the need for repentance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as we look at this parable and look at the teaching of Jesus and he says, Parkview Church, you must become and you can become a person of ongoing, constant forgiveness. Yes, even of the people who incessantly harm you and hurt you, don't just hear that in a vacuum, but hear that connected to the other aspects of the New Testament Scripture that teach us how to be a healthy, functioning church, okay? So back to the point, Jesus is clear. We must be a people of unlimited forgiveness and the incessant provocations in our relationships. But then how does this happen? How can we be motivated for that type of ongoing forgiveness? The answer is the parable. Jesus tells us this story. It has three scenes and then one dramatic point at the very end in verse 35. The three scenes are this. Verses 23 to 27, the king forgives the infinite debt. Verses 28 to 30, the servant does not forgive the finite debt. And then verses 31 to 34, the king punishes the unforgiving servant. Scene one, 23 to 27, the king forgives the infinite debt. I want you to notice two details in both the first scene of the king and the servant and the second scene the servant and the fellow servant, okay? The two details are the debt and then the motivation for the forgiveness or for the non-forgiveness, okay? First detail in the first scene, the infinite sum of the debt. Look at verse 24, right? The king has financial accounts he wants to settle. He, here comes this servant, and the servant has 10,000 talents. Now, for most of us, it's like, what does that even mean? Well, depends on kind of what math you use. But basically, it's about three to six-ish billion dollars in U.S. money, depending, again, kind of what financial math that you use. But the basic point is this. Jesus is seeking to shock his listeners with what is basically a, an infinite debt. 
an unpayable debt, which verse 25 shows us because verse 25, it says that the man, the servant, could not pay. He could not pay $6 billion. That's an infinite debt. You can't overcome that one. And so the master orders him to be sold with his wife and children and payment to be made. So this man then, in the next verse, 26, he's, he's crying out, you know, pleads, hey, hey give, me, give me patience. Give me just a little bit of time, which is, I think, humor from Jesus. How could this guy ever have enough time to pay $6 billion of debt? But he's saying, if I just have enough time, I can pay it off. But, but look at what happens, the motivation to forgive. Verse 27, the king sees this man in his desperate situation, an unpayable debt, an infinite debt, and he has compassion out of pity for him, verse 27, compassion. The master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt, forgave him $6 billion of debt. Parkview, this is what forgiveness is. The definition of forgiveness is that out of a heart of compassion for a person's desperate situation, you cancel a debt. You cancel a debt and no longer let it affect the relationship. You cancel the debt. So this king, this is what he has done. He absorbs the cost himself. We know for the thing to function well, if someone gets in a car accident, right, the reckless driver and then the man whose car was hit, well, for the car to function, someone's got to pay the money to fix the car. Either the reckless driver does it or the guy who was hit says, hey, don't worry about it. I, f I forgive you. But the, co the cost, therefore, is absolved. But in any way, for the thing to function, the debt must be resolved, and therefore, in this first scene, it is. But then look at the second scene. The servant who does not forgive, the same two debt details, both the debt and the motiva motivation not to forgive. Number one, the significant finite debt. Verse 28, the servant goes out. He finds one of his fellow servants who owes him 100 denarii, which is about 20 weeks of labor, which is about 15-ish thousand dollars in our today's money. Again, depends on kind of how you do the math. About $15,000 in today's money. Now, that's a lot of money. If any of us lost just like that from our bank account, we got a little update on our phone. You just lost $15,000. You would freak out a bit, I assume, right? It's a significant debt, isn't it? And that's, that's one of the things we have to understand, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus doesn't think that the way the people hurt you or are hurting you or repeatedly failing you or have hurt you in the past, Jesus is not saying, ooh, a little boo-boo, bummer, get past that, move onward. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's $15,000. That's a significant debt. The evil and wickedness that people have done against you or who might be doing it against you right now, Jesus doesn't overlook that, brothers and sisters. It's a significant debt. And yet, as good readers of this text, what we do is we look at that debt, but we compare it then to the six billion that was forgiven, and we assume that this guy will know what to do, a.k.a. hint, hint, forgive. But what does he do? The second detail, verse 28, he finds his fellow servant, he chokes him, and he says, pay what you owe. And the $15,000 guy, like the servant of the king, falls on his knees, says, give me, you know, patience. Have patience with me. I'll, I'll pay everything back. But verse 30, but the servant refuses. What does he refuse? Well, what's the difference, the major difference between scene one and scene two? The absence of forgiveness, yes, but the absence of pity. The king has pity and therefore out of compassion forgives. This man refuses. This man refuses to forgive because his heart has not actually been 
transformed. We notice the radical difference, and it makes us wonder what's going on here. Think of it this way. Something has gone wrong when people who are designed to be conduits of compassion end up becoming clogs of condemnation and harshness and strictness. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful. As we look at the pattern of our relationships, do we primarily have atmospheres or the tenor of our relationships as being harsh, restrictive, judgmental, choking, suffocating? If so, it shows that something has gone wrong in our hearts because we are meant to be conduits of God's healing forgiveness vertically from above, then horizontally flowing through us to those around us who inevitably will have debts against us because of their sin. And all of this then leads to scene three, verses 31 to 34, where it says, the master summons the servant and says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt, all of that $6 billion, I washed it clean in an instant. Because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? In other words, was this whole thing not designed to make you, my servant, a conduit of my forgiveness flowing into your heart, yes, but then flowing out of your heart in forgiveness and mercy to those around you? But you have broken and mangled the whole system, servant, wicked servant, Therefore, verse 34, in anger, the master delivers him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Anger, not because he's a vindictive king, just happy and ready to spite anyone who crosses him. Anger, because when humans mangle and pervert the whole design of the forgiveness operation, God gets angry. God gets angry when the sweet streams of freeing forgiveness are not flowing out of his people, but have turned instead to the infected sludge of condemnation and judgmentalness and harshness and restriction and harm. Yes, it does anger the Lord because he forgave us a $6 billion debt. And think of it this way. In scene one, the king offered this man free entrance into a world where the music was filled, a place where the music was filled with the happiness and freedom of compassion and forgiveness and generosity and abundance. And yet what this man has chosen is instead to live in a world of condemnation. What does he do? He chokes his fellow servant, and says, pay what you owe. It's the language of judgment. It's the language of justice. It's the language of condemnation. Pay what you owe. And in the end, brothers and sisters, as it says in verse 35, the heavenly Father will send us to the eternal place that we have chosen to dwell in in the way that we relate to one another. If we do not forgive your brother from your heart, so also will your heavenly Father do to every one of you. Brothers, this is a serious statement from our Lord Jesus. Because forgiveness in Christ's community is so essential to bringing honor to him because he is the God who forgives. That is what the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals to us is a God who happily and joyfully, and overflowingly, and generously loves to forgive people. 
But in the way that he's designed thing is that his forgiveness to us ought to make us conduits of his forgiveness to others. The parable shows us that how we treat others, Parkview Church, how you treat others in relationship actually reveals what you believe about how God treats you. Some of us have amazing theology. Some of us can check the box on the doctrine exam and get an A+. But then we go home after work and family life is chaotic and harsh and severe because of the toxic sludge coming out of our hearts. And Jesus in his love, listen to me very carefully, Jesus in his love warns us from being hypocrites, of saying we believe one thing about the Lord and his grace and mercy and hands raised on Sunday morning, praise God, and then Sunday afternoon at home or at your workplace or in your friendships, the exact opposite is happening. Let me be careful here and clarify something. Jesus here is not saying there's a one and done. Either you've forgiven someone or you haven't, and therefore you will be eternally punished because of that. What Jesus is looking for, brothers and sisters, is a difference between faithful direction and unfaithful rejection. There's a difference right now in your heart between, on the one hand, Father, that person keeps sinning against me and incessantly provoking me to anger, and I'm just so frustrated, and I'm really bitter against them, and I'm struggling, but Father, Jesus, Jesus, please help me. Please help me. Would you change my heart? You get what I'm doing here, right? You're struggling in the right direction. There's a difference between that and a I could not care less. That person has wronged me, and they are an idiot, and they have harmed me, and they don't deserve forgiveness, and they, I don't even care. I hope God doesn't forgive them. Anger, bitterness, and rage towards that person in an unwillingness to forgive. Brothers, that type of spiritual heart is extremely dangerous. It is deadly and poisonous. And the Lord Jesus, by his mercy, is confronting you, if that is your heart this morning, with an unwilling, unwilling refusal to forgive someone. If that is your heart this morning, Jesus is speaking to you. And out of love, he is calling you to turn away from what will lead to eternal destruction. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, the reason why Jesus is serious about this is because we're in Matthew 18. But if you flip your page, one, one, one page of your Bible, you'll see in Matthew 19, the first verse, Jesus begins moving to Jerusalem. And by the end of Matthew 27... What we've been seeing about Jesus is he's the king, he's the king, he's the king. But in Matthew 27, this king is crucified on a cross and he is proclaiming forgiveness in his final breaths towards those who are hurting him and hurting him and crucifying him. The only way, brothers and sisters, that your heart and my heart, because we're so prone in our temptations, in our sin, towards bitterness and resentment towards those who hurt us and hurt us and provoke us, all the time, every day, it feels like they keep doing the same thing over and over again. The only way you can forgive that person is understanding what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. 
Do you realize the fullness and the freeness and the generous generosity of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in the gospel? This is where this parable must take us because Jesus says it's a heart issue that needs to be transformed. As Colossians 2 says, God the Father on the cross was forgiving us and canceling all the record of debt that was against us. At the cross, the king was paying your $6 billion debt, my $6 billion debt through the cost of his own precious son. And because the heavenly father has given us his most precious resource, his most precious investment in his beautiful, glorious son, Jesus, then you better believe it, Parkview Church, that if we would refuse that forgiveness of Christ crucified on the cross, then there is anger from the Lord against those who refuse such a generous, lavish, incessant forgiveness from a heavenly Father who loves you. There's no reason, there's no good reason, though it's difficult, there is no good reason not to become a person of forgiveness because we know God and what he's done for us in Christ. I mean, just think about the, the incessant provocations of daily sin against the Lord that you and I commit on a ongoing regular basis. So many of us here are repeat failures in the same besetting sins that dishonor our Lord Jesus. You know that's true. I know that's true. Our constant carelessness as we approach God in worship, our prayerlessness or our wandering and wayward lusts and fantasies in our minds, our bored disregard for the word of God in a daily habit of meditating on scripture or repeated failure to bear the fruit of the spirit in how we treat others or the underlying secret hypocrisies or the incessant self-focus and love for comfort or the incessant pride that all of us struggle with thinking that we're actually just a lot better than most everyone that we live with. That type of sludge and sin and daily incessant provocation against the Lord, and yet how does the Lord treat you and me in that sin? He forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. There's a deeper and greater mercy and compassion in Jesus Christ going to the cross, bearing upon himself the debt and judgment that you and I deserve. Do you understand that? And daily and daily and daily, time and time again, our Lord Jesus forgives us and forgives us and forgives us and has mercy and patience on on us, us sinners, repeat incessant failures. And he's wooing us to himself and he's calling us towards repentance and by the Holy Spirit he's changing our lives and he's giving us a new direction to follow him, yes, but we continue to stumble and fail and sin. Am I right? And he keeps forgiving and loving and caring and calling us to himself. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ unlimited forgiveness. There is no sin so deep that the love and forgiveness of Jesus is not deeper still, Parkview Church. This is the gospel we proclaim every Sunday from this pulpit. And it's the only way, knowing this good news of Christ, it's the only way our hearts can actually change to begin to forgive the $15,000 debt, significant $15,000 debt that people have against us. Some of us right now, are in terrible state because of what people are doing against us. 
And the Lord Jesus is saying, I know what that's like. And he's provided the resource through his death on the cross for you to give you the strength and power that you need to forgive. And so Parkview Church, are we a forgiving church? Very practically, it looks like three things. There's three promises. Timothy Lane is a a counselor, psychologist that talks about there's three promises. When we forgive someone, when we cancel a debt, we're committing to three things. Whether we say these words out loud or not, three things are happening in true forgiveness. Number one, you are saying, I will not bring up this offense against you. Number two, you are promising that you will not bring up the failure or this sin to others in gossip. Now, Again, clarification, not saying that there's, there's, there's place for pastoral encouragement and sharing and unburdening with a, a wise, godly counselor or therapist or whatever there needs to be to work through the issue. That's what this talking about. I'm talking about gossip, malicious gossip to g- get the person and to shame the person behind their back. And the third thing is that you will not bring up this offense to yourself. You will not keep replaying the videotape without turning it over to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me forgive. Lord, help me forgive. You won't just, so that you are festering in bitterness. You won't do that. And think of those three promises of forgiveness that you are called to by the Lord Jesus to make in your relationships. The only way that you can do that, Parkview Church, is if you realize that Jesus Christ makes those same three promises to you every day, every moment of your life. And we can't live without it. God never brings up, Parkview, God never brings up your sins that he has forgiven. There won't be a time in eternity future where Jesus will say, but don't you remember when you said that? Or don't you remember that season of life when you were addicted to this or whatever? Jesus is not, he forgives you. When the Bible says that God forgives you, it actually means that God forgives you. The second promise that Jesus makes to you every day through the gospel is that he never brings up your sins to other people. He's not talking behind your back critically with the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not doing that. In fact, in John 17, we learn this as a, a church, didn't we? Jesus talks to his disciples about future disciples behind their back. Do you know that? Jesus has already talked to you. You already know what Jesus would say to you if he talked behind your back. You have it in Scripture, John 15 to 17, the upper room discourse. And you know what Jesus says behind your back? Jesus can't stop talking about the endless love of the heavenly Father for his disciples. That's what Jesus talks about behind your back because he loves you. The third promise that Jesus makes to you every day because of the gospel of Christ is he will never replay the videotape of your sin in his mind. Friends, this means this. Jesus is not bitter about you. Jesus does not harbor resentment against you despite your ongoing failures. Jesus does not hate you. He is not disgusted with you. He's not ashamed of you. He does not despise you. Jesus rejoices at the thought of forgiving you. It was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross to forgive you of your debt. And the more and more, brothers and sisters, we believe that this is the real Jesus presented to us in scripture, the more and more we will see our hearts break open in humility and compassion and forgiveness, overwhelming those who, yes, continue to sin and sin and sin. Brothers and sisters, we have been forgiven through Jesus Christ $6 billion. Therefore, you can, by the help of the Holy Spirit, forgive those who sin $15,000 of debt against you. Parkview Church, hear the word of the Lord. We must forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for this sermon that you have, you've taught us from your word, the depths of your forgiveness for us and therefore our need for forgiveness to extend and be conduits of forgiveness towards others. We're going to move into a time of communion, so just continue in a, in a time of prayer, reflecting on what, what the Lord just taught you from his word. Spend a few moments reflecting on what communion is. Some of us right now may be struggling with actually feeling that, am I actually forgiven? And communion, communion is, is vertically God saying, yes, you, you are forgiven. Look, look, taste and see actually that you've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. The second thing that communion does is it reminds us of the horizontal, the need for communion, community. And so maybe this is the time, by the help of the Holy Spirit, you take one step forward in forgiving that person who maybe is continuing in their sin against you. Take this time to pray and ready your heart for communion.